0: This morning, we will first hear argument in Case 08305,
1: Forest Grove School District versus T.A. Mr. Feinerman. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court: the 1997 amendments to IDEA prohibit tuition reimbursement awards for students who are unilaterally placed in private school without first having received special education services from the public school district. This is so under ordinary principles of statutory construction, and particularly so under the Spending Clause Clear Notice Rule. Mm -hmm. Prior to 1997, IDEA did not expressly address tuition reimbursement for unilaterally placed students. In 1997, Congress added Section 1412A10C. In subsection 1, Congress provided that when the school district makes a free, appropriate public education available, a FAPE no reimbursement is allowed, and then in subsections two through four, Congress addressed situations where courts and hearing officers may award tuition reimbursement and said that reimbursement may be allowed where the school district does not make a FAPE available to a student who previously received special education services from the public district. Congress said Mr. nothing
2: — but the, the first provision that you read Sub 1 says that there will be no reimbursement if the agency has made a free appropriate public education available to the child and the parents elected to place the child in private school, but that if, if the agency made a free appropriate public education. And here as I understand it the school district said that this child was ineligible for special education that's correct so if the child was entitled to a free appropriate public education and didn't get it then under this one wouldn't the parents be entitled to tuition reimbursement
1: no uh, subsection one covers students who are provided a free appropriate public education Subsections 2 through 4 address the other category of students. Well, Those that's who your, not-
2: what's your construction book. Couldn't this be read to say no reimbursement if, the word is, if the agency not. So the implication is if the agency did not make a free appropriate public education available, then. That
1: that might be the implication if there weren't subsections C2 through C4. Uh, So it's it's the TA's argument and the government's argument that C1 sets forth a general rule. Uh, But if if that were the way that that Congress meant the statute to operate, it wouldn't have had any reason to put in C2 through C4 uh, because we would already know from C1 Uh, that tuition reimbursement was a possibility for students who did not receive, previously receive uh, special education services from the public district. Congress, instead, went on in, in C2 through C4 to address very specifically, in the context of a comprehensive statutory scheme, when tuition reimbursement would be available to students who did not previously receive. And Congress specified, after essentially being invited to do so in Burlington, which of those students could get tuition reimbursement. Uh, and the, the, the answer
3: two, two through uh, four don't don't limit or contradict any explicit requirement of of one.
1: Oh no, it, it, one it, is
3: only at at most a negative implication, which which one would not draw in light of two. Two through four is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And and they deal with different sets of students. In one, the school district has made a FAPE available. In two through four, the school district has not made a FAPE available. Uh, And no mention is made of when a FAPE is not made available to a student who had not previously received. Uh, And under this Court's decision in Arlington, uh, because those students like TA who had not previously received are not mentioned, Then, then,
2: Then what happens in a case which I think is like this one, where the child doesn't receive special education because the school has determined that the child is not eligible, so the child isn't getting public education, and in the parent's view, confirmed by experts, the child is in need of special education can't get it from the public schools because they declared the child ineligible what is such a parent to do
1: if if, if it's an incorrect determination by the school district the problem is remedied rather quickly there are very tight time frames in idea of course uh, the parents
3: here didn't uh, uh didn't run off to a private school only after the school district had found that their child didn't require any special education did they that's correct they 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 put him in a private school without even consulting the schools
1: right and then only after the fact went to the school district and by the way we can get
3: some money how
1: much how much uh, money are
3: you talking about imposing on the school district
1: well it's the tuition is fifty two hundred dollars a month a month yes and then there's a fifty two hundred dollar alumni services fee a $1,500 uh, interview fee But let's, let's, uh,
4: no,
5: let's Mr. Feynman, can we go back to the time frame again? And I've just got a question of fact I should know this, but I don't You, you said that if the, if the parents in the school district disagree It can be remedied fairly quickly Because there's a fairly tight schedule set For the administrative procedure What I don't remember, and my question is this When the administrative uh, steps have been exhausted If there is still disagreement Is there any limit on the time in which the uh, the judicial appeal has to be uh, resolved
1: no there isn't Uh, isn't isn't
5: that the isn't that the kicker here in other words i i i I fully understand your your textual argument uh i i can see uh, its soundness as a possibility that is open to us and perhaps on on the face of it the the most likely possibility but there is a cost and, and the cost it seems to me is that once you get into the uh, once you get into appeals, this thing can go on for years, and you can't wait years when, when, the, when, a, when a kid is in this kind of condition.
1: That's correct, but there's no need to wait years. Let's assume that uh, parents actually went through the process appropriately, unlike TA's parents. What, can you
2: explain what the process is? Because Justice Scalia yeah. said uh, parents just went away. The school, at an earlier point, said this child was ineligible. For special education isn't that so i think
1: that's correct that was in 2001 in the district yeah. judge at at page 39 of the petition to the uh, the appendix of the petition page 39 note three the district judge noted that the 2001 evaluation is not an appropriate part of this case but for the for the parents who, who try and get their student eval, who get their student evaluated the school district says no uh, the child is <coughs> ineligible and then the parents at that point the, the timing kicks in the parents can ask for a due process hearing the next day uh, under the time periods that were in place when TA's case was going through is the that hearing, that hearing had,
2: is that hearing on eligible or not or is it on what the IEP should be well when, when the school is said not eligible is there is that question resolved first before we ever get to the IEP?
1: I think in a situation where the school district finds the child ineligible and there's an appeal, both the eligibility and the appropriate placement are decided in front of the hearing officer. And there was a 45-day time period at the time TA's case went through for the hearing officer to make a decision. And then after that, what well, uh, wouldn't
2: the school say we, we have no obligation to get up an IEP until the question of eligibility is determined.
1: I suppose if the school district were to get a stay of the hearing officer's decision pending appeal to the district court, but that's not what happened here. What happened here is that the hearing officer decided on June, uh, January 26, 2004 uh, that TA was eligible. On February 19, quicker than the 30 days allowed, Forest Grove School District proposed an IEP. Uh, That could have started uh, uh, as soon as possible thereafter, as the regulations require. So you're you're talking about a very tight, I understand the situation that you're hypothesizing, Justice Ginsburg, but we're talking about a very tight turnaround in in TA's days, 75 days, which is a matter of weeks, uh, not a matter of years, as was the case in Burlington. What happens
5: when we get to court? Excuse me? What happens when we get to court? Isn't that when it turns into a matter of years?
1: It, it turns into a matter of years, but it, in the interim, the school district, Forest Grove School District, while it was litigating in the district court, Forest Grove School District offered an IEP. And at that point, TA's parents could have tried the, the IEP out, sent the child to receive services in the public school district. They, the IEP,
2: point, they did the IEP after the hearing officer was finished?
1: Yes. At less than four weeks after the hearing officer was finished, Forest Grove uh, offered an IEP, and that's in the addendum to our reply brief. Okay, but I think
5: we've got to assume that Congress had some concern uh, for the parents who correctly say this IEP is no good. It just can't be done in the in the, the, the school system, uh, and, and the kid needs a, a, a special school. And in that case... Maybe your answer may be that's the exceptional case, and it shouldn't drive the the, the inferences to be drawn from — about congressional intent. But in that case, uh, if the the district and the parents are at good-faith loggerheads, uh, it can go on for a long, long time. it?
1: It can't go on for a long, long time if the parents file for a due process hearing, uh, and then it could, if they get it to, they get No, to but they get the due process of, yes.
5: hearing. The, 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 the ultimate result is the school proposes an IEP. The parents, based on what their experts tell them, say, that isn't going to work. Uh, and the parents say the only way, you know, we, we can educate this kid without his falling behind more is to put him in a private school. At that point, with assuming good faith here, uh, it seems to me you get into court, uh, and it can go on for a long time if we accept your, your analysis of the text.
1: But, but all the parents have to do in that situation is to give the IEP a try and send their child to Yeah, but to doesn't school.
5: that get to the point of, of something pretty formalistic? I mean, somebody in, in the brief said, you know, give them one day under the IEP, uh, and, and the, if, if you win, ultimately the check can be written. And that, that can't be right.
1: I don't think one day could be right. The statute says, it expressly says, who previously received special, special education services under the authority of a public agency. It doesn't say how long it has to be. Maybe, I rem- maybe.
0: I'm sorry. Okay. I remember, perhaps incorrectly from the prior argument here, uh, that the period that they had to try out the school plan was 10 days.
1: Uh, th- that, that's a discretionary factor that courts and hearing officers can. It's not a hard and fast rule, but I think it's probably good as a general benchmark. So is
0: that, is that a, a period that your clients prepared to accept? Uh,
1: yes. It's so long as, in, in the ordinary case, 10 days, would, it's in the statute, so we have that textual indication. And it, it will provide the school district a chance to provide services under the IEP. And, and as this Court mentioned in, in a prior case, IEPs, are, it's an exact science. And when you look at it on a piece of paper, it's hard to know whether it's going to work or not. Uh, the way you find out whether it works is where the rubber hits the road. And it could be that the parents look at the IEP and say, you know what, I don't think this is going to work. But until you actually give it a chance to work, maybe the child goes in and, 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 and works with the special education uh, teacher or the instructional assistant, and they really hit it off. You think that's, re- is that's
6: realistic? That the parents are sat, are convinced going in that this is an inappropriate IEP, and they send the child to school for ten days under the IEP. At the end of the ten days, they're going to say, "Oh well, we've completely changed our mind now. We think this is a this is a good plan."
1: It, 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 it's certainly plausible in certain circumstances. You, you can't. It, it's. it it may not happen every time it may not happen half the time
2: isn't it It also plausible that the district will say 10 days is not a fair trial for this system this is a, a child with severe learning disabilities and to give this iep a fair chance we need 10 months
1: AT THAT POINT, THOSE ARGUMENTS CAN BE MADE UNDER C-3 AND C-4, BECAUSE AT THAT POINT, the, child would no, THE PARENTS WOULD NO LONGER BE CATEGORICALLY BARRED FROM SEEKING TUITION REIMBURSEMENT. AND THOSE ARE ARGUMENTS THAT YOU CAN MAKE TO THE HEARING officer. But YOU, are, you ARE
5: BASICALLY SAYING that the, THAT THE ONLY NECESSARY DELAY IN ORDER TO SATISFY A CONDITION FOR ELIGIBILITY, IF THE PARENTS OTHERWISE PREVAIL, IS A TEN-DAY DELAY. That's, THAT'S BASICALLY YOUR ANSWER.
1: Uh, I don't think I'm saying that. I'm no, saying that the school
3: does not have to come up with an IEP. It could it could uh, tough it out, and say we're going to rest on on our belief that this child does not need any special education, right? And unless the school proposes an IEP, the parent cannot come within within subsection two by sending the kid to uh, to get the special services. Well,
1: I think that assumes that the school district is not going to abide by the order. Of the independent hearing officer. And and this, in in our case. But what about before?
7: The whole point is there, under the words of the statute, as you have interpreted, there is a conditioned predicate that has to be satisfied. So to say that, to answer by saying, well, that assumes they won't obey the hearing officer, what about before the hearing even takes place?
1: Right. Before the hearing takes place, there is 45 days. Uh, And then, uh, well, the hearing — there's a uh, request for a due process hearing. The the hearing officer has 45 days. Uh, And then if the hearing officer says, this child is eligible, district, you must uh, propose an IEP, the district has 30 days after that.
3: what happens to do do, what? Could could the district appeal? That's the end of the road? Can't the district say the hearing officer is wrong? Absolutely. The district can appeal. And if it does, does it have to take any action?
1: In I, I suppose, it, it, yes, if it, unless it gets a stay of the hearing officer's uh, ruling. But that didn't Which happen is- here, and I'm not aware of any cases where it did happen. In this case, there, was, there were two tracks. The hearing officer said, TA is eligible, prepare an IEP. The district said, I disagree, I'm going to appeal to the district court, but in the meantime, Within less than 28 days, the district prepared an IEP and offered it to TA. And at that point, TA could have accepted the services, thus, rendering him eligible uh, for tuition reimbursement. So, so just to get back to
8: your answer to Justice Scalia, what if the school boy just was adamant that he's not entitled to any uh, special education? And just maintained that position throughout the litigation?
1: Uh, it, it, the, the, I think the assumption is that the school district would not abide by a lawful order of a hearing officer
8: well, they got to stay and they wanted to appeal it and if they did what happened
1: in, in that situation, there would be no and i 'm not aware of of that situation if they don 't have happened. a risk
8: under your view of the law, as i understand it they could they could take that position and they would never be never be liable
1: a- a- there would be a delay in, in, in that situation. But I, I'm not aware of any case where that situation, where a school district no, but just that, was that, obstreperate. that's the
8: consequence of your, your position, as I understand it, that they could do that, and they would
1: not have any risk of liability. I, I think that's a hypothetical risk, because, again, I haven't seen any situations where that's actually occurred.
7: Well, but it's, it's not that hypothetical when they're, when they're – two prompts. Number one, the school has to agree first with the diagnosis, in which, in this case, they didn't even do that. They had good faith disagreement. Second, they have to have an adequate uh, IEP. So there are two conditions.
1: That's true. And I, and I, think, I think the answer to the question, its, it's real, this is really a legislative question. Perhaps Congress ought to Further amend the statute to say, in those situations where a school district is being obstreperous and refusing to comply with the hearing officer's order, in those situations there's going to be an exception to the exception. Uh, but it's not—it's not the statute that Congress wrote. Congress it's wrote. In your interpretation of the statute
8: create an incentive for the school board to just say we'll never provide an, uh, any kind of educa- special education. We'll just tough it out. If, if a school board can't lose, they can't be liable if they do that. If I understand you correctly.
1: I, I suppose hypothetically it does, but in, in, in my, my understanding is that that just doesn't happen in under, in Schaefer versus Weist and other cases. Would, the, the would you be
3: surprised to find a court decision which says that when the reason that the plaintiff cannot comply with the uh, requirement that that he first uh, be in a plan, when the reason is is the district's refusal to abide by an order to 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 prepare a plan that uh, that subsection two uh, uh, does not apply you can't profit by your own uh, by by your
1: own malfeasance that's correct and i i don't think there could be reimbursement under subsection two perhaps if there were a parallel rehabilitation act claim under 504 that might be a vehicle to get relief in a situation where the school district is acting as horribly as being hypothesized but uh, but
3: not under you don't think you don't think a court could say the only reason these people could not comply with two is that the school district made it impossible by not complying with the order to provide an iep and therefore uh, they they can recover for
5: the private placement
1: it's conceivable that that a court could hold that i think it's more than conceivable i know a lot
5: of courts that hold that but your position is that there are basically two situations one the situation in which there uh, is an administrative order to do an iep and the school district says no we won't do it millions for defense we're going right into appeal and we're not going to prepare the iep in that situation as i understand it you're saying the parents have no way of getting relief under this statute. In the case in which there is an order for the IEP and the school district prepares the IEP, even though the parents think it will be inadequate, uh, there, in fact, is a ready remedy subject to two delays, one, the time to prepare the IEP, and two, ten days to give it a try before the parents take the kid out of school. That's basically the scheme that you're proposing that the statute provides. Is, Is that correct?
1: That's the scheme that Congress wrote in the statute, yes. Under, under C2, and it has to work that way uh, because I, I, th- I want to come back to a, to a point that was aired in the briefs, which is TA's argument and the government's argument rests upon the notion that Section 1415 I2 B3 gives hearing officers the authority uh, to award tuition reimbursement. That provision doesn't give hearing officers any authority to do anything, let alone to award tuition reimbursement. The only provision in IDEA that gives hearing officers the authority to award tuition reimbursement is 1412 A10 C2. So the the statute doesn't work, the the statute doesn't work, and the Secretary's interpretation of 1415 I2 uh, B3 is implausible because it accords to hearing officers uh, the authority that it doesn't have. There's another textual clue why the statute works in the way that I'm suggesting, and that is in the Ninety-Seven Amendments in subsections three and four, Congress gave very explicit guidance to courts and hearing officers as to the uh, factors the court and hearing officers should consider when deciding whether to award tuition reimbursement to a student who previously received special education services.
7: The, the there is problem that the government and the parents have is they have to give some work to double i uh, under under their view double i doesn't seem to do much work the problem with your position is that it seems in a way formalistic and in some cases to encourage intransigence um, if we adopted a presumption that the school district's diagnosis was correct and a presumption that it's um, if, if, if there was a diagnosis of, of, of disability, uh, that its uh, individual education program was adequate. Um, that would, it seems to me, not be all you wanted. It would ameliorate the position of the school district. Would we have authority, do you think, to adopt such a presumption?
1: I think the, the court already has adopted that presumption uh, in Schaefer versus Wiest. Uh, school districts are presumed. Uh, to be acting in good faith. Well, th- This would be, be
7: a clear and convincing evidence presumption that the, that the, that the IEP is that the school district uh, designs is right that its diagnosis is wrong. Right. That's not all you. That's not all you would be asking for. Well, I, I, but would we have authority to do that if we were to reject your
1: interpretation of the statute? Uh, I, I suppose you would have the authority to do that.
2: How have how have hearing offices been proceeding? I mean, here we had a case, went to a hearing officer, there's no IP when the hearing officer begins the process. In, on the eligibility or not, do, do hearing officers give deference to the school district? And then, so that's eligibility. At the IEP stage, do they give deference? There's some deference given to — you're talking about the
1: deference that the district court gives to the hearing officer? No, the hearing officer. The
2: hearing officer is the first-level decision-maker, and the school board gives its reasons why it thinks the child is ineligible. The parent, the reasons that the child is eligible. That's the threshold determination. On that threshold determination of eligibility — Do hearing officers presume in favor of the school district?
1: Not not in this case. In this case, under Oregon law at the time, and this was a pre-Schaefer decision, uh, the hearing officer put the burden of proof on the school.
0: Counsel. On the question
1: of eligibility. Uh, Why isn't it
0: the case that the school's diagnosis uh, is a related service under the statutory provision? It seems to me to be a very important service to the parents to know what the school's diagnosis is.
1: I think that the diagnosis is more in terms of eligibility. Uh, it's, it's under the, the — under B-6, uh, the hearing officer can decide — can consider issues of identification, eligibility, and placement. So well, i I'm
0: talking about what the parents received, and they receive a diagnosis. And the statute covers — asks whether they previously received special education and related services diagnosis would seem to be to be a service related to special education
1: i i don't think that's the way it works I, I, A diagnose, uh, a finding of eligibility or not is is not a diagnosis it's just an eligibility finding and that's something that the parents can uh, take to a, a due process <clears throat> hearing under uh, 1415f if there, if there are no further questions i'll reserve the remainder of my time thank you counsel
0: Mr. Sammons.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, it may it please the Court. The school district in this case improperly denied TA, a child with a disability who had always been enrolled in public schools, access to all public special education services. It asserts that because its wrong eligibility determinations prevented TA from receiving special education services. It is immune from reimbursing TA's parents the cost of obtaining those services from another source.
0: What's wrong with ten days? I mean, it's 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 a big expense you're asking the school district to (coughs) incur that will take away funds from other programs. And all all they're saying is, give it a try for ten days, um, and if it doesn't work out, then you can go.
4: I think there are several problems with that reading of the statute, Your Honor. First of all, the ten-day period that's referenced in subsection C3 refers to the amount of notice that a district needs to receive before a child is removed uh, from the system. Oh, yeah. The first day, first,
0: first day you say, look, we don't think this is going to work out, so we're notifying you what we're going to do. And they say, well, you've got but, to do that 10 days. And they said, okay, 10 days.
4: But that's, that's simply not the way these things work as a general matter. Let me just point out a few things about the, the normal process of developing IEPs. And, and, again, here the child never even got that far. But. Um, typically, IEPs are developed at the end of, the, the, of a school year, for the following year. And the parents, at that point, have a period of time in which to decide to go along with that plan, or to give notice, and then make alternative arrangements. And it's simply — I mean, and that's the way it works, and because uh, it's important for parents to be able to get their child in an alternative program if they decide that's what they want to do. And if you wait until the school year has already started, those may not be available. Um, and the 10-day notice requirement — No, I
0: suppose that's right. But once the law is clarified, uh, <clears throat> schools that specialize in, in treating these uh, kids would be able — they'd understand as well, and they'd understand you've got to — the people who are going to be sending — most of the people who will be sending their children to the school have to wait 10 days. And it seems to me that the actual practice on the ground uh, would work out pretty easily.
4: But again, Your Honor, if you focus on the terms of the statute — the reco- even under petitioners' reading, uh, the requirement would be to have previously received special education services, not to have tried out a particular plan. It may be the case that the plan for the upcoming year is, is very different than the plan for the prior year. Uh, perhaps they had had another assessment and they had substantially changed the- well, which public- way does that
0: cut? seems to me that cuts the other way.
4: Here's, well, a, I- here's a
0: new plan. We've worked on it. Here it is. Uh, at least give it 10 day, two school week tries.
4: I, I think the way that cuts, Your Honor, is, uh, is that that reading of what m- you were positing, I, I guess, in this exchange, what Congress might have had in mind, it's not what they said in the statute. They did not require parents oh, uh, with, to try out a particular plan just so that at some point in time they with, had previously received special well, education services. With respect,
0: begin. Counsel, what Congress provided is that the uh, uh, child must have previously received special education and related services. That's right. Well, oh, I think they did provide that you've got to try it out, at least for a, a minimal period.
4: But not the particular plan that's the subject of the IEP, Your Honor. That, that connection does not exist in the statute, and, um, and we think it's counter to uh, uh, what Congress ha- Well, so depended. what type
0: of special education services do you think do count as having been previously received?
4: Well, well, if I, if I may, the way we read uh, this provision, and it's set forth on pages 3 and 4 of the addendum to the blue brief and we think it's important that we read this as a whole and in context, is that uh, subsection C-1 provides the general rule to govern the payment of private school tuition based on a unilateral placement by the parents. And subsection C-1 creates the only express limitation on the right to reimbursement. And it does so only in instances where the school district has provided a free and appropriate public education. We think subsections C-2, C-3 and C-4 work together to govern the subset of cases that Congress was most concerned about, and that in fact are the most common scenario uh, in which these disputes have arise,
3: except that you're reading C1 to say something that it doesn't say. It it just says you don't have to pay uh, if the agency has made a free, appropriate public education available. That is and what it, you read it to say. You must pay whenever it hasn't made, and, and it just doesn't say that. it it it, it's a safe harbor for the school district it says so long as you've made a, a an appropriate public education available you can't be liable for any any private school tuition now you want to expand that to say and whenever that condition doesn't exist, you are liable. But it, it really doesn't say that, and, and, and the later sections uh, suggest that it, it meant not to say that.
4: Well, that's where we park, company, Your Honor, because, in fact, that negative inference that you referred to is precisely what petitioners attempt to read into subsection C2. There's nothing in subsection C2 that provides any restriction on the ability to obtain reimbursement. It is written well, in Well, in,
0: in reading it that way, you are reading the phrase, who previously received special education services to mean also who previously did not receive special education services.
4: No, Your Honor. We are simply not reading that language, who previously received, to be a conditioned precedent. Um, yeah, so
0: if it doesn't matter whether they previously received or not.
4: It does matter, Your Honor, because the provisions that follow in C3 and C4 that guide the exercise of discretion in that category of cases that were of concern to Congress only apply to the cases that are defined in subsection C2. And so in our reading, the language who previously received still serves an important purpose, but it serves an identifying purpose for the limiting factors provided in C3 and C4. So you're it does saying not Congress the
0: went to the trouble of spelling out this elaborate provision in C3 and C2 and all the other things, but that was not the universe of the situations in which there could be reimbursement. They went to that trouble, but then at the end you want to say or some other provisions or some other circumstances.
4: Well, that's right. We think that Congress was focused on a particular uh, set of cases where problems had arisen, and that's where the, you already had a child in the process of receiving special education, and you had parents who removed the child out of that process without giving adequate notice and thereby short-circuiting sh- — excuse me, short-circuiting an ongoing collaborative relationship that Congress wanted to preserve. Yeah,
3: but But if, if you avoid that collaborative relationship entirely, and just run off to, a, prior sc- uh, to a, a private school right away, you get reimbursement. Why? why, why?
4: Well, you don't automatically why would get Congress reimbursement. Be, huh? you, you, don't, you, you don't automatically get reimbursement. There's just no categorical bar to seeking reimbursement. You still have to show it's an appropriate remedy, which always has been understood to require a showing that the parents acted reasonably and in good faith and that they were sincere in their efforts to obtain services from the school. About the about
6: Why not? I mean, suppose the part I don't understand in this statute, which may not be relevant, I would appreciate the help. It seems to me that A, 10, large A, and then F have something to do with a parent who never goes to public school. The child just goes to private schools to begin with. And they, they get something. If they have, if they have a disability, this program pays them something. What? Yes, Your I, Honor, I, I'm what not is following it? this. Uh,
3: I don't know what section it's
6: at. The very beginning on addendum, addendum, page
4: one. Okay. This is what's, Your Honor. This is what's known as the child fine provision. And, and, and what, what it? it provides is that uh, for. Let me just step back for a moment and and remind the court that the obligation on the state is to is to ensure that children. All children with disabilities, regardless of whether they're in public or private school, have the opportunity for a free appropriate public education. With respect to children in private school who are not seeking a free appropriate public education from the public school district, the only requirement under the Act is that you seek them out, you find them, you identify them, and that you report that um, to the Department of Education, and that you get money for those children. And for those children that are not enrolled in public school, you have to use a percentage of the funds you all receive. Right. So, to So, in other words, to provide uh, benefits that are available a parent to all who has children.
6: A disabled child who never thinks about the public school system still gets some money, but not as much for the disabled child.
4: It's not money to the parents, your honor. It's, it's money, money to, to the, the, the school funds programs, for example. Uh, speech therapy or something like that, that they would then allow children in private school to, to to benefit from.
6: So it's money that goes to the school for a program.
4: It's not even necessarily money that goes right. to the money private the school. the children can go. It goes go, to the public uh, schools, and they provide services that they may make available to children, regardless of their All right. Now, of their if, would it
6: then work? What, is it, would this system work under the statute? You say parents, if you're going to a, a, a disabled child, you simply go to a private school. You get the services you just mentioned. Now, if you put a, put the child in a public school, and they find a free, appropriate public education, fine. That's the end of that. You have to do it. Now, if they don't give you a decent one, you can you can uh, send the child to a private school, but it has you have to give a shot to the public school system. Now, that's what you don't want the interpretation to be. Well, don't you're against that? But, but let's amend uh, it it's a
4: little. Not, I would not describe it that way, Your Honor, if I, I don't mean to interrupt
6: well, I'm reading the language. You may require the district to pay for someone who has been enrolled in special services.
4: I mean, again, just keep in mind the facts of this case. This is a child that was in the public school system. I, 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 you haven't
6: heard my amendment.
4: Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
6: My, my amendment is the norm will be give the public school a shot. But there could be circumstances you're getting the runaround. There is need to put that child in a public school now. Uh, In other words, special equitable circumstances that make it reasonable for the parent not to give the, the school a shot, though that's the norm. And in those unusual circumstances, there would remain grounds for equitable relief. What about that as an overall interpretation of the statute, which has several parts to it?
4: Uh, I would submit that the way we read the statute, Your Honor, in fact, does precisely that, because it, the school district just, again, take this case. You have to, to be willing to
6: accept that it's an unusual situation, though it may well exist, that the judge is going to reimburse the parent where that parent didn't give the public school a shot. They'll have to show there's a good reason for not doing that.
4: Is that all right with you or not? Well, the difficulty I have with your question, Your Honor, is that the school district always has a shot under the Act. In this case, the school district assessed the child in 2001 and again in 2003, and both times it erroneously concluded Well, you're that the simply child
6: saying that it was reasonable for the parent here. I'm not asking that
4: No, question. not just that it's reasonable, but or, that in the process of assessing the child and developing an individual education plan that is appropriate for that child, that is precisely the shot that the statute gives the public school system to get
2: it right. Mr. I thought that the, the — courts, the district court, will not provide for tuition reimbursement unless at least two things are shown. One is that the school district did not provide an adequate education for this child, and two, that the private school did, and then there are equitable considerations.
4: That is absolutely correct.
2: So you must find both, not just that the private school was a good place, but that the school district did not offer an adequate education for the child.
4: That is that is that is correct. That's what this court held in Carter. That's what the regulations say. I would note that there's nothing in the text of the statute and the provisions that petitioner relies on, C two, for example, that makes it a statutory requirement to show that the private placement is reasonable as a as a condition precedent to obtain. Tuition reimbursement, no. but both sides concede that that's required, but even though it's not in the statute.
2: We we know that there's a provision addressed to a court for equitable relief. The question was put before: Where does the hearing officer get the authority to order tuition reimbursement? Because the statute on which you rely for the court speaks only to the court's authority.
4: Thank you, Your Honor. I'm, I'm happy to answer that question. But petitioner makes this a centerpiece of their reply brief, and I think they just misread the statute. Um, and again, keep in mind that these amendments in 1997 were written against the backdrop of this long-standing statute and this court's interpretations of it. The, the most direct place where the statute provides hearing officers the authority to uh, address reimbursement claims and to award reimbursement, and this is on page nine of the addendum in the blue brief, is 1415B6. This has always been in the statute, and it states that the parents must be provided an opportunity to present complaints with respect to any matter relating to the identification, evaluation, or educational placement of the child, or the provision of a free, appropriate public education to such child. That is, again, that has always been understood to include the right to seek reimbursement before the hearing officer. And this Court in Burlington cited legislative history from the 1975 Act that noted that hearing officers could award reimbursement and address such claims, in concluding that it was part of the appropriate relief that courts ought to be able to have under 1415.
3: Are, are any of these other procedures? I, I took these to be procedures that have to be provided by the school district, not, not by the hearing
4: officer. These are — these are required — this whole section, Your Honor, 1412, is entitled State Eligibility, and these are all requirements that States have to provide Uh, for process in order uh, to obtain funds under the Act. And so it is a requirement that States provide hearing officers that have the ability to award
3: hearing officers uh, an opportunity to present complaints with respect to any matter relating to identification. Those complaints. present the complaint to the, to the principal.
4: No, Your Honor. This is a reference to the due process complaint notice that's referenced elsewhere in the statute. I believe petitioner would agree with me that that's what this reference is.
5: No, but the reference is to a right to be heard on certain subjects. It doesn't say anything about authorizing a particular individual or officer within a school system to award relief. The, the problem is it says you can be heard. It doesn't say who will tell you or who will tell the school district to write a check.
4: Right. But keep in mind that the judicial review process that the statute provides um, and this is uh, at page seventeen of the addendum um, the right to file a federal action is limited to those matters that are raised in the due process complaint notice filed before uh, filed before the hearing office. So this is an exhaustion well but
9: you,
5: you you can raise the you can raise the, the, the claim to eligibility to a a a, a, a private uh, education here. Without the hearing officer having the authority to order the school district to provide it?
4: That has not been the interpretation of this Act, Your Honor. And I would refer the court to 34 CFR 300.148B, which is a regulation that states that hearing officers can award reimbursement. And that has been around since the mid-1980s. My point is that it is that Congress enacted these amendments in 1997 against a settled understanding of how this Act works. And it has always been understood that hearing officers can award reimbursement. There was no need to provide in the 97 amendments that hearing officers can also award relief. And again, because it's an it's a exhausting requirement and the judicial review prov- provision only relates to the things that you've raised before the hearing officer, it makes no sense to say a court can award reimbursement, but you can't uh, get reimbursement from the hearing officer. That's the subject of the review of the Federal Court action.
5: No, but it it might make sense to say that the hearing officer can determine eligibility. It is then up to the school to pay it. And if the
4: school does not pay it, then you've got to go into court and get an order. In fact, Your Honor, the hearing officers have always been permitted to award reimbursement, as occurred in this case. Um, And then the school district can decide either to pay that or to seek review if they, if they so choose.
3: Well, and it might make also sense to, to say that if the hearing officer has no authority to award a certain type of relief, neither does a court under that general provision that, that
4: uh, uh, But, of course, this court in, in Burlington held the court did have that authority, and it relied on the fact that it's always been understood that hearing officers have that authority in reaching that conclusion. That's
3: right. But, but with these new provisions, if the hearing officer doesn't have the authority to award the kind of relief that was awarded here, then the Court
4: wouldn't either. Well, I, I, uh, with respect, I think there's nothing in the 97 Amendment. You
3: you agree they go, as we say, in pari passu?
4: Well, I do do think that it doesn't make sense to say Whatever whatever the uh,
3: hearing officer can do, the Court can do. I think generally it's generally. And whatever he can't do, the Court can't do.
4: I think they ought to be read together, yes, Your Honor. But I think they ought to be read to provide, for the authority to provide um, tuition reimbursement. One statutory point I would like to make, Your Honor, um, is that under petitioner's reading of the Act, if you read C2 to be, that that reference to who previously received, to be an absolute precondition, then I, I think it's the case that C1 has no meaning whatsoever. It does no work under the Act at all. Whereas on our reading of the statute, C2 still does work. It's not a precondition. It doesn't do the work the petitioner suggests. It does a more limited, serves a more limited function. But it still serves that identifying role for the factors Congress wanted applied when it was focused on how to preserve relationships, ongoing collaborative relationships through the IEP process that warrant preservation. One other point I would make, Your Honor, and Justice Scalia, you made reference to this principle of equity, that you you ought not be allowed to prevent something from happening and then come into court and claim, "Haha, they didn't satisfy a condition. And that was uh, a point that was made by Justice Cardozo in the R.H. Stearns case that we uh, rely on, where he said, he who prevents a thing from being done may not avail himself of the non-performance which he himself has occasioned. That is precisely what happened here. As this case comes to this court, it is established that this is a child who was entitled to receive special education services back in 2001. The only reason he did not receive those services is because the District violated its statutory duty I it, in to provide 2001
2: a, even the parents agreed that, he didn't, that they didn't want to put him in special education.
4: The parents agreed, Your Honor, that he did not qualify for the learning disabilities that they tested him for, but they had an obligation under the Act, um, and this was found by the hearing officer and the, the complaint that was filed was filed within the two-year limitation to challenge that 2001 determination, and that that was error. They had an obligation to test him for those other health impairments at that time.
0: Thank you, Counsel. Thank you.
9: Mr. Miller? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Had Petitioner provided TA a special education that was later determined to be inadequate, there would be no question that the District Court would have authority uh, and discretion to determine whether an award of private school tuition reimbursement was appropriate. Petitioner's view is that because it offered no special education at all, it is therefore categorically immune from such an award. That position is not supported by the statute, and it's inconsistent with the reasonable interpretation of the Secretary of Education. There is no basis... Uh, for reading the statute to create uh, what effectively would be an incentive for districts to stonewall uh, and to say that if they don't, well, for
0: ten days, right? Even assuming the bad faith that you're ascribing to the school district, that would only work for ten days, right? Well, and then they would have then they would have previously received special education services, and they could proceed.
9: Well, we we're not assuming b- bad faith. Uh, our our point stonewall is- sounds to me like bad faith. Well, the, that was the word you used. Uh, Congress, I mean, there, there's no reason to suppose that Congress would want uh, to create an incentive or to reward uh, districts that
2: do do that. But the, the, the you're talking about two different things. I think the chief is talking about putting the child in special education and keeping the child there for 10 days. You are talking about the school district that says, no special education, this child is not eligible.
9: That, that's absolutely right. So, in a case like this, there's, there's nothing to try for 10 days. Because the district has found him not eligible they haven't offered any special education uh, or, or related services now to the extent well, let move
0: to the situation where they have a plan that the parents regard as inadequate in, in the case in that of, situation all they would have to do is to have the child try the plan for 10 days
9: well if the you know to the extent that there's a an interest in having parents try out the plan petitioners reading of the statute is very poorly tailored uh, to that objective because it doesn't require uh, that they try the specific plan that's being proposed for 10 days. Even under petitioner's reading, the statute simply would require uh, that the child at some point have received some special education and related services. It wouldn't have to be under the plan uh, that was being tried. Uh, and But it, the odds are that it would be under the plan. I mean, what, what you say is theoretically possible, but in the real world, it's probably going to be under the plan, isn't it? Well, not necessarily, because there's a new plan uh, at least once a year uh, under the statute, and Uh, They're typically proposed at the end uh, of a school year for the start of the new school year. Uh, So there wouldn't be, uh, on petitioner's reading, a requirement that you show up for the first 10 days uh, of the new year. You would just have to give notice after the IEP is proposed in May or June. You give your 10 days notice. You received special education services under the old plan, under the previous year. uh, And uh, on petitioner's reading, the the statute would be no barrier uh, to reimbursement there. Now, of course the district courts do have considerable equitable discretion uh, and we're not suggesting uh, that reimbursement would be mandatory uh, in that case or, or in any case uh, and, and the
2: parents i think you that the parents would have the burden of showing both that the school did not provide an adequate um, education and appropriate education and that the private school does
9: that, that's that's absolutely right uh, and they would also uh, in our view uh, have to show the district court that they had genuinely cooperated uh with the public school in, in making their child available for evaluation cooperating Suppose we
7: thought it were sensible to add to that burden uh, the further rule that the um, school district is presumed to have made the correct diagnosis and if there is a plan if in that kind of case that the, that the plan was adequate and that the parent would have to show by clear and convincing evidence that this is not so. Um, rather than just inventing it and pulling it out of the sky, is, is, is there some authority in the statute that would give us um, warrant to do that? Or are there some, any cases that would give us warrant uh, to establish a presumption of that kind in order to recognize? Uh, the long-standing expertise of the states in this matter and in order to allow Section 2 to give, do some work?
9: Well, a, a clear and convincing evidence uh, presumption uh, would be difficult to reconcile, I think, with uh, 1415 I2 uh, C3, which says that the district court decision should be based on the preponderance of the evidence. Uh, but it is certainly within the district court's discretion, and it would be uh, within this court's discretion, I think, to prescribe uh, principles to, to guide the exercise of the district court's uh, but the discretion. district court
2: doesn't get into the act until the hearing officer is done. Right. And so it would be odd to have a presumption applicable in court that isn't also applicable to the hearing officer because the court is reviewing a decision by the hearing officer.
9: Right. Well, I think the, the standard in both stages of the proceeding uh, is by a preponderance of the evidence and, and the parents as the party challenging what the school has done have the burden. Uh, but at both stages, uh, it would be appropriate to consider uh, whether they were genuinely seeking uh, a free, appropriate uh, public education, and I think it would be entirely appropriate and consistent with uh, the preponderance standard uh, for the hearing officer or the court to take due account uh, of the fact that the school district has some expertise um, and, and to give some deference uh, to what it's proposed. I2B3. B- I-2 oh, uh, It's I two B. It's been amended in in 2004. There's no change in the language. It's now I two C. C. C
2: three. Does does the department have a regulation that says the hearing officer may order the private school, the parents, to be reimbursed for private school tuition? Because it's not in the statute.
9: 34 CFR uh, 300.148 B says that disagreements between the parents and a public agency uh, regarding the availability of a program appropriate for the child and the question of financial reimbursement uh, are subject to the due process hearing procedures. Uh, So, yes, that regulation uh, gives uh, hearing officers the authority uh, to award reimbursement, as, indeed, the hearing officer had done in Burlington. Uh, Burlington was a case where the reimbursement award was made in the first instance. Uh, by a hearing officer. And, of course, the Court uh, held that that was appropriate. Uh, And Uh, Counsel, this is spending clause legislation. Do
0: you have any rough idea of how much of the obligation incurred by the States is reimbursed by the Federal Government? What percentage?
9: I think uh, of the the additional costs uh, of treating special education children above those of of educating uh, other children, uh, I think approximately 10 percent. Uh, 10 to 12 percent is reimbursed by the federal government. Um, So if
0: this interpretation vastly expands the liability of school districts in that particular area, isn't that a consideration we should consider? Since they accept, the states accept 10 percent of the funds to incur these obligations, and then you're expanding the obligation in a way that we may at least find Uh, is ambiguous. Isn't that a pertinent factor?
9: There's no basis for supposing that there would be a vast expansion of liability, and that there are some statistics on this in the National Disability Rights Network's Amicus Brief at pages 13 and 14. Uh, Of about six million uh, children in the United States who are receiving special education, uh, barely one percent of those are in private placements, and the vast majority of those are agreed-upon placements uh, between school districts uh, and the parents. So this sort of unilateral private placement uh, it is quite rare, uh, because, of course, the parents uh, do it at their own financial risk. And so there's a real uh, barrier to parents doing it, because they have to be pretty sure uh, that they're right and that they're going to be able to meet uh, the demanding standards of uh, satisfying the district court that an award of tuition reimbursement is appropriate. And if, if they don't the, do that, they're going to be
7: If the parent's entitled and the child's entitled to the special education and the school doesn't give it, and there are two schools, private schools in the community, A and B, a charges was it fifty-two hundred dollars a month tuition, uh, the other is considerably less. Uh, they both have adequate uh, uh, programs for the child. Is the hearing examiner entitled to reimburse only for the lower amount, Aye. or is the parent entitled to? Send the child to the to the more expensive school.
9: No, no. What the court said in Carter is that uh, it's appropriate for the hearing officer to take into account whether the cost of the private education was unreasonable. Uh, so, in a situation where you had two basically equivalent schools, that that would certainly be an appropriate thing for the hearing officer to take into account in limiting uh, or denying reimbursement.
2: Well, they could be, I suppose, an order that any tuition in excess of a certain amount would be the parents'
9: responsibility that, that, that's right that that would be within the discretion uh, of the hearing officer and in a case like this where you have a residential uh placement and the residential component of it uh, there's been no suggestion that that was had some educational purpose or was part of providing an appropriate education uh, it would also be appropriate uh for the court to decide to disaggregate no, that and say we're only paying for the the school district only has to pay for the educational component let, let me be clear. If, Am I
3: correct that, under under the theory of the statute that you're supporting, it would be possible for a parent, without first consulting with the school at all, to put the child in a private school and then later to request public school services? And when it is — when they are denied or they are inadequate, all that public school tu- uh, private school tuition
9: would, would be reimbursable there would be no categorical bar in the statute uh, in that situation, but a, a district court confronted with those flat facts uh, would most likely conclude uh, that the parents had not genuinely <coughs> sought uh, a free appropriate public education uh, and hadn't appropriately cooperated uh, with the school district.
0: Thank you council Thank you uh, Mr. Feinerman, you have four minutes remaining.
1: Thank you mr chief justice i'd like to address the two Provisions that we've heard today for the first time uh, TA and the government are resting their argument that tuition reimbursement is permitted in the unilateral placement context to students who had not previously received. The regulation 300.148 uh, Council uh, reference subsection B disagreements about faith. Uh, and it does say that the hearing officer can consider the question of financial reimbursement. In the very next subsection, C is entitled Reimbursement for Private School Placement. And that provision speaks only to uh, students who previously received special education and related services. Where, the where the are you reading? agency. This isn't an — this regulation was brought up. At argument, it's not in any of the addendums, uh, but I, I would direct the Court's attention to subsection C of Uh In terms of the, the provision that uh, TA's lawyer addressed, 1415 uh, B6, uh, no argument. There is no argument in the briefs that 1415 B6 gives uh, hearing officers the authority to grant tuition reimbursement in these circumstances. The Department of Education did not rely on this provision when articulating its commentary that uh, tuition reimbursement is still permitted under these circumstances. The Secretary of Education relied upon the 1415 I2B3 provision that, of course, refers only to courts. Uh, And even if the argument were properly presented, which it isn't, it would be subject to the same dynamic uh, that's in play Uh, With respect to 1412A10C2, you have a very general provision giving hearing officer's authority. Commerce got specific in 1997. Uh, There's a heading, uh, enacted a provision under the heading Reimbursement for Private School Placement. Uh, I, I think that clearly indicates that's where Congress intended to repose the authority of hearing officers to order tuition reimbursement to unilaterally placed uh, children. Uh, we also have the, — the, the, and, and it just doesn't work to say that 1415 I-2b-3 somehow uh, gives hearing officers authority, uh, even if it were interpreted that way prior to 1997. Uh, in 1997, Congress enacted the statute that expressly referenced hearing officers and courts uh, and allowed both of them to give tuition reimbursement. So even if 1415 were interpreted prior to 97, incorrectly we would submit to give hearing officers that authority, after 1997, where Congress actually went to the trouble of saying hearing officers and courts can give tuition reimbursement in certain circumstances, uh, that that prior interpretation, whatever its merits back then, uh, no longer is Well, what happens if
6: — what happens if the hearing officer can't, but why couldn't a court? I mean, they see an unusual situation, the parents were justified, and it doesn't say there are no circumstances other than the, where you couldn't — where they may not pay. So the judge says, I think this is a situation where it is inequitable — it is equitable to pay the, uh, it, the reimbursement, that's
1: but, but why but not? If,
6: what, what says you can't do that? Other than your basic point about the may require
1: the spending clause, the headings that, that Congress used. Oh, but anyway,
6: the regs don't any, say anything. Right.
1: Anyway, and anyway, and it's it's a system that doesn't make any sense because it, for children who did previously receive and go to the hearing officer to challenge either an eligibility determination or an improper IEP, the hearing officer could award tuition reimbursement. But for children who could, didn't previously receive and then they went in front of the hearing officer, they would have to, I don't know what the word would be, appeal to the district court in order to get tuition reimbursement. Uh, is it conceivable that that, that — You're t- saying the system?
6: statute says the hearing officer can't do that no matter what. It's a separate argument.
1: Th- that's correct. But I'm saying if, right. if TA is right, that would be the system. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, money. counsel. The
0: case is submitted.